In, in 2013, nearly 10 years ago, uh, I met a cute young couple at the Jesmond County Chamber of Commerce dinner. So he was a dentist, she was a speech pathologist, they were young and in love. They actually asked me to do their wedding ceremony, which turned out was in the Red River Gorge, one of the most amazing wedding ceremonies I've done in terms of location. Uh, but they were getting ready to open up a dental practice in front of Sam's Club. Now, at that point in my life, I had not seen a dentist in 10 years. Don't judge. Don't judge. I also do not floss. Nothing you say today is going to make me start. I am just not a flosser. It's not going to happen. I don't even lie to the dentist or the dental hygienist. Why? Because they know anyway. Just tell the truth. I don't floss. I've never flossed. Like, so I went because uh, I thought, you know, I probably should see a dentist. They're young. They're starting out. I want to see them. I want to see this dental practice fly. So I showed up and I was amazed. I was wowed. I was dazzled. Like there's no film for x-rays, like all of this technology stuff. And then there wasn't somebody with a pickaxe trying to get all the plaque off my teeth. No, they had this special laser water thing and they just put it in your mouth and it went and all the plaque went away. And I, I was just like, what? This is like Star Trek. This is like the Starship Enterprise. Like, this is amazing. And the, and the dentist was like, oh, let me show you stuff in the back. And then he had even more technology that I was like, whoa. So for the next several weeks, all I did in every conversation with everybody I had is talk about what? My dental appointment. Oh my goodness, you, have you been to the dentist lately? Like, can did you know, like every single person. I was a dental evangelist. I was literally with my testimony going to the highways and hedges and bidding them to come in to get dental treatment. Um, testimonies and testimonials matter. They move us. These days, most of us rely upon the testimonies and testimonials on Amazon and Google. And that's how I bought this Timex camper watch twice this summer. Look at the reviews. 4.5 stars out of five. Look at this one here. Super cheap, super great, five-year update. I'm a roofer. I'm on this thing takes a beating and it keeps on ticking. Now, I have a need or a want. I do have a smartwatch, but my I like to go kayaking and it can get over 85, like 88 degrees. And then when you're sitting out on the rocks, it's a little hotter than that. And this smartwatch is a wuss. This smartwatch, about 85, 86 degrees, it shuts down and it goes, <gasps> like, really? We're going to be here? <laughs> you didn't tell me this was part of the deal. <gasps> Shutting down to survive. <laughs> like, it's, so it, does, it doesn't work. So I thought, I'm going to get a watch that can take the heat and that I can take a swim and it's fine. Again, this watch said it was all of that. I put the watch on. I vacuumed the Lone Oak pool. I jumped in and swam one lap, got out of the pool. A half an hour later, went to check the time, and the crystal is full of water, and the watch has stopped. Not a problem. I got a dud, Ginger. I got the one watch that the reviews didn't hit, so I sent it back, and I said, send me another one. I got the one dud that Timex produced. So the other watch came, strapped it on, and 
uh, one morning I went for an exercise paddle on the Kentucky River before I went into work. So it's about six, seven in the morning. Watched the sun come up. It was glorious. Went for a swim right before at, at the dock, right before I put the boat back on to come back and go to work. And then a half an hour later, went to check the time. And guess what? The crystal was full of water and the watch had stopped. Two duds. Well, I wasn't going to be fooled that time. So I sent that watch back and said, give me a refund. Waterproof? I think not. <laughs> Why did I believe all of those Amazon reviews? Why? Well, that's right. If someone we know and trust gives us a testimonial, we generally accept it. But if a stranger gives us a testimonial, right, we're automatically suspect. Oh, you're just trying to sell me. Oh, you're just trying to manipulate me. Like we're, so why do we trust all of these strangers on Amazon and Google? I think part of it is because we assume that collectively with that many people, the truth has got to be in there somewhere. And then we also assume that every single review is written by an actual person. We assume a lot, don't we, Team Generations? We assume a lot. So, by the way, if you didn't know this, this is why it's important, by the way, for nothing. Uh, I pulled up our church thing from Google, 4.9, that's good. It would be even better if it were 4.7 or 4.8. Want to know why? Because if you see five points for a church, what do you assume? They're lying. <laughs> That church has people and people have problems. Those people are liars, right? So baked into the thing is we have assumptions about how that works. And, and this is, I thought you would catch that. The beautiful thing, my pastor colleagues, knowing I come out of the evangelical tradition, especially my Anglican and Orthodox ones that drink like fish, they bring this up all the time. They say, Max, is your church really in the Kroger Wine and Spirits? And I know, I said, no, we're simply adjacent. <laughs> adjacent. <laughs> okay. Here's my big idea for today. People talk most about what they love most. People talk most about what they love most. And real testimonies from real people have the power to move us in a different direction. Now, I've been teaching from 1 John uh, during the summer months, and it's a letter written by the Apostle John to a group of churches in and around the city of Ephesus, where John was living at the time while he was taking care of Mary, the mother of Jesus. Okay, so he writes this letter to these house churches, and we're going to be in 1 John chapter 5, verses 6 to 12 today. So I'm going to read the passage, and then we're going to go through it. Uh, and Jesus Christ was revealed as God's son by his baptism in water and by shedding his blood on the cross, not by water only, but by water and blood. And the spirit, who is truth, confirms it with his testimony. So we have these three witnesses, the spirit, the water, and the blood, and all three agree. Since we believe human testimony, surely we can believe the greater testimony that comes from God, and God has testified about his son. All who believe in the son of God know in their hearts that this testimony is true. Those who don't really believe this are actually calling God a liar because they don't believe what God has testified about his son. And this is what God has testified. He has given us eternal life and this life is in his son. Whoever has the son has life and whoever does not have God's son does not have life. 
So there's a word that comes up over and over again in this passage, and it's this Greek word martyria or marturion, which is where we get the English word martyr, but it means witness or testimony. And John is writing these letter, this letter to churches that have been torn apart by people who are claiming things about Jesus that aren't true. They're saying things like, well, Jesus wasn't really God. Jesus didn't really rise from the dead, like stuff like that. And John's, and they're pulling people out of these house churches with these ideas. And John is basically writing this letter. And part of what he's saying is, who are you going to believe? I was there. I was with Jesus. I saw the miracles. I was at the foot of the cross when he was dying. I ran and beat Peter inside the empty tomb. You're, you're going to believe them and what they have to say about Jesus and not what I've been telling you about Jesus that I saw with my own eyes, right? So John's trying to get them to really figure out like, who are you believing? Who are you believing? Who are you listening to? Americans, by the way, are on this fun little quest with rejecting uh, institutional authority. So Americans right now, if you're religious authority, governmental authority, scientific authority, medical authority, it doesn't matter what kind of authority or institution you are. Americans are like, oh, that's dumb. Conspiracy. Like you're just making that stuff up. It's not real. Like <laughs> that's where America is right now. And so America is like, you know, and they'll say, well, I just feel, or I know, or my brother, Dave, who lives in Oregon and, and out it comes. <laughs> and it's an interesting time. And so in face of that, in the face of that, I asked John's question, who should you listen to? Who should you believe? Okay. So let's, let's go through this a few verses at a time. First uh, John five, six, a, and Jesus Christ was revealed as God's son by his baptism in water and by his shedding of blood on the cross. So there were some people who claimed at, in, in these house churches and they left the house churches and they said, this is what they were saying. Oh, so here's how the Jesus thing worked. At Jesus' baptism, God's spirit came in him and then miracles, all this stuff. And when Jesus was on the cross, God's spirit left him. By the way, he didn't rise from the dead. And that's what they were saying, okay? And so John is saying, look, no, no. We know that Jesus was God's son because of the (laughs) cross, because of his baptism, right? He is God's son. Um, You may run across people who've decided for a number of reasons that Jesus wasn't anything more than just a popular teacher. But John is saying that Jesus' baptism and death point to something. They testify to something. They shout to us that Jesus is God's son. And John's basically saying, look, you can accept it or reject it, but it's bearing witness. It's testifying to something. Okay. The next couple of verses, verses six to eight. And the spirit who is truth confirms it with his testimony. We have in us God's spirit indwelling us. I'm going to talk about that in a moment, but I want to come back to the person who's writing this letter. John was there. He was at the foot of the cross when Jesus uh, said, see this woman over here? This is now your mother. Take care of her. John was at the cross when Jesus died. John was in the tomb when they discovered it empty. And John is saying, I saw this stuff. It's at the end of his gospel. So John chapter uh, 19, let me find this. Verse 35, he says this. 
Is it 35? Yeah, John. This report, this is John writing, this report is from an eyewitness giving an accurate account. He speaks the truth so that you can believe. John's basically saying, hey, I was there. This is what I saw. You can take what I'm saying straight up. <laughs> this is the gospel truth, as we would say in America today. Okay, there's one witness. And then both Jesus and John claim that everyone who receives the son receives the spirit. That's another witness. This inner witness, inner testimony, something on the inside that you can't quite explain or describe. So the apostle John and Jesus are testifying that Jesus is God's son and you can accept it or reject it. And John continues in verses nine and 10. He says this, since we believe human testimony, surely we can believe the greater testimony that comes from God. If we'll believe a review on Amazon about a tumbler that's going to keep our liquid cold for 24 hours based on a smattering of reviews, surely we should believe the greater testimony that comes from God himself through his spirit. At work in the world today, opening people's eyes, convicting them of their sin, drawing them into his presence. If you believe Amazon reviews, you should believe the greater testimony that comes from God <laughs> through his word and through his spirit. The apostle John is actually arguing several things in this letter, and, and I'm stealing this from a New Testament theologian. The first thing is simple. The blood remains central. That's why he brings up shedding of the blood several times in this passage. It's why we have a giant cross behind me. The cross is big. It looms large. It's huge. Um, the blood is central to all we are and all we preach. And then the second thing John's insisting in this letter is that God's spirit preserves the truth. Um, John doesn't spell out how that happens, but he insists that God's spirit preserves the truth for the church. I believe one of the ways God has done that is through the early creedal affirmations, right? So God is, God's spirit's pre preserving truth. And then thirdly, there's no claim to spirituality that's legitimate if it dismantles what God has said through Jesus Christ. John would be greatly affronted by that, by someone coming around and saying, well, let me tell you, I got a track on spirituality, all that stuff that Jesus said in the gospels, forget it, that's not true, he didn't really mean it, blah, blah, blah. John would be like, what are you talking about, dude? Like, this is crazy. It would give John apoplexy to, to say something like that. Remember, Jesus is the clearest picture of God that we have, and Jesus is the living word. So we have these words that come up in this passage, water and blood, spirit and truth, eternal life. What has God done for you? What has God done for you? Some of us think that we have to have a big testimony in order for it to count, like we need to have murdered someone or done drugs or slept with 14 people or whatever it is, right? We think we need to have this big uber testimony. Well, before Christ, let me tell you, I was incarcerated for 10 years. Like, you know, no, no, you don't, okay? Um, that thinking is bunk. No testimony is too small. No act of grace or redemption or deliverance in your life is too small to share. If God has done something for you or in you, it's worth sharing. That's the whole point of a testimony, right? Because testimonies and testimonials still move people. 
If I could condense just one aspect of what God's done in my life, I would say it this way. I thought I needed to get straight A's and ring the bell in order to be someone who was lovable and someone who had value. For a long time in my life, I thought that's, if I can ring the bell, if I can achieve, if I can do this, then I'm, I'm lovable, I'm worth loving, and I'm valuable. With Jesus, I've discovered that I'm worthwhile and valuable simply because I'm his. I don't have to ring the bell. I don't have to get straight A's. Because I'm his, I'm so valuable, he laid down his life for me, right? So I asked the question again, what has God done for you? And when was the last time you made a list? Maybe you'd be surprised at what was on the list of what God has actually done for you just in the last year. So that's the first question. And the second question is, um, what kind of witness are you giving to Jesus Christ? What kind of witness are you giving to Jesus Christ? So I always try to make my teaching here at Generations as practical as I can. So I call this taking a home. Here's how you can take this home. First and foremost, I would say this to the church today in America. If I were in charge, they made me Pope for the day. I would say, we don't need to market Jesus. We don't need to market the church. We don't need all this stuff. We don't need the marketing stuff. We simply need to encounter God. <laughs> when we encounter God, God changes us. God delivers us. God transforms us into families and communities and individuals who are into something good and beautiful. That's what God does. Um, it's like that song we've sung from time to time. He makes beautiful things out of the dust, out of us, okay? We don't need to market the church or market Jesus. Um, as a pastor, though, I get all kinds of emails and advertisements encouraging me to employ marketing companies for me and Team Jesus and Team Generations. So I thought it would be fun to read you a promise from something called Guest Check, Okay, so follow with me, okay? So guest check basically has reached out to me to say, hey, Pastor Max, you want to create buzz in the community that's positive about your church? You want people to show up and visit to come back a second time? We have a solution for you. Here's what their email said. After years of success focusing only in hospitality, guest check was approached by a single church over two years ago and asked to consider providing inspection services. Their primary goal was to assess the Sunday morning experience of a non-biased third-party visitor. The church leadership wanted to get an unbiased and anonymous review of the guest experience. This is what they further explain in their email. Our team of savvy professionals can secretly worship at your church. No laughing. <laughs> Our team of, not here. Our team of savvy professionals can secretly worship at your church, analyze it in detail, and present you with a report detailing items that are lacking. With this report, you can make changes that boost your retention rate, make your church grow, make the adjustments our team suggests, and you not only retain your first-time visitors, you'll get them talking to their friends about you. Uh, so why should I have guest check do this? They say, we can help you create an environment in which your guests enjoy themselves so much they don't want to leave. <laughs> because statistics show that more, now more than ever, Americans have no problem with church shopping or leaving their current congregation and moving on to another. So uh, to that and to their promises, I would say thanks, but no thanks. Again, I believe, uh, this is really huge, and I hope you will jump in with me on this belief. If we encounter God, you don't need marketing. You encounter God. That happened, by the way, at Pentecost. God did this a big, amazing thing. You know, 
all the people in and around Jerusalem, they're like, what's going on? Why are these people speaking in these languages? You know, tell us what's going on. And so Peter gives a speech and it's in Acts chapter two. I love, I love Peter because he is so the anti-marketer. So he gives this big speech and at the end of the speech, he says this. So let everyone in Israel know for certain that God has made this Jesus whom all y'all crucified, both Lord and Messiah. That's not really good marketing. I don't think I'm going to feel good about myself. <laughs> like, what is he doing? What is he doing? Okay. So the first thing that I would say to us as a church is we don't need, the, we don't need to market the church or market Jesus. We need to encounter God. We need to encounter God. And then secondly, you talk most about what you love most. The earliest Christians, they love Jesus more than anything. In fact, they love Jesus more than they love their own lives. And they couldn't stop talking about him. I think that's what Jesus had in mind when he said, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. People who love God that way are usually people who are struck with awe and gratitude with who God is and what God has done for them. And it just comes out. It comes out. I'm not sure many of us in the American church today actually love God the way we love the latest thing we watched on Netflix. But <laughs> I'm confident that with God's help, we can get there. Um, I am 55 years old today. I do, love, I do love a lot of different things. I love Star Trek. I love Legos. I love history. I love ribeye steak. I love time by the water, any water. Pool water, lake water, a cup of water. Good meal. <laughs> Good, I love good meals with family and friends, but death will take away every single one of those things. Death will rob me of all of that, and yet, Jesus beat death. In Jesus, I have life, and I have a future. I have everything I need. Um, I hope that I can testify to Jesus and God's goodness as much in the next couple of decades as I could about my dentist a decade ago. So I end with the simple question, what has God done for you? What has God done for you? Maybe it's worth sharing.